My name is Marek Zmysłowski. I'm Polish, uh, living most of my life in Africa, actually, professional life. Uh, and I'm a co-founder of Sunroof, uh, which is a two-in-one solar roof producer. This, this, is, this is Diversified Game Game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kellen. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, ah, man, the description box, you have to go click the links, especially for the book the author of Chasing Black Unicorns. Now, some of y'all are gonna say, hold on, Chasing Black Unicorns, and you'll see Marek from Poland. And you're like, what is he, is he trying to be funny? He's chasing black unicorns. Maybe you've seen him talk about Africa. He's lived most of his life, professional life, he said, in Africa. He's gonna give us the game on how he has started great companies. He's doing solar right now, but this is the co-founder of Jumia Travel. You guys know I love Jumia. I love to tell you to get back in Jumia, whether it's at $4 or if it's at 60. Some of y'all thank me when that happens. Um, I appreciate you for coming on. I just got to know, now that you are in the Caribbean right now, I'm not gonna say your exact location, just in case Interpol Start, wants to look for you again. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, do you do you see like a um, similarities between the continent and the Caribbean? And are you making like uh, some research for the Caribbean right now? And we'll get into all your other stuff. But I just want to know: Are you doing recon right now for the Caribbean? Because you are a serial entrepreneur. I, I just moved here, like we we discussed earlier, uh, for the lockdown time. Uh, I ended up in the DR, <laughs> Dominican Republic, because my girlfriend is Dominican. So we figured, let's just sp spend some time here. Um, and yeah, I have to say, if I am to generalize, when you look at infrastructure, economic growth, and so on, on one extreme of the spectrum, you have like this Western Europe, right? This like a so-called rich con and old continent, so-called, I'm, I'm putting air quotes here. And then I spent some significant portion of my life in Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, which you can, you can say that is on the other extreme in a way, like infrastructure challenges, a lot of poverty and so on and so on. And again, air quotes, that's another uh, uh, extreme end of the spectrum. And then Caribbean, you can see it kind of being like in the middle if i was to really generalize because you know you still have big uh, amount of uh, challenges which you can find main uh, largely in, in many african countries but also see you see that they've developed uh, slightly further you see that infrastructure being built here and so on um so i see many similarities between with europe and i also see many similarities uh, with countries like nigeria or in kenya when i when I've spent uh, 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 when I spent my life, um, so so if I, that I was I'm always looking for those things. I I would never open my business here, to be honest. Like I enjoy my life here, uh, but when it comes to doing business in emerging economies, in in cool economies, I think Africa is the only option for me because it provides you not only with a certain level of fun and excitement, it also gives you the potential, right? 
because you have big challenges in, in countries like Nigeria or in Kenya to launch something. But I mean, the reward is just absolutely extreme because of just the sheer size of the of the market, yeah, and 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 potential of, of the market. Uh, the Caribbean don't have that, right? It's it's just a cool place to live in, but the, it, it it's a small region, right? And if you want to do something big, it's like go big or or, or go home. Uh, and and I like Nigeria. I love doing business in Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa because the the huge level of risk is ch matched with huge potential reward. So as a businessman, you want to always find the right balance. You want to minimize the risk and maximize the reward. The worst situation you can be in is have a potential business with huge risk, but small reward, right? That's, that's an imbalance that you don't want to go after. The ideal scenario is low risk, high reward, which doesn't always happen. But high risk, high reward. I mean, for my, in my particular case, is what I go after, yeah. And, you know, that's the business side of you. But I also know that, you know, you're for capitalism, but you don't want to, um, you know, be a part of those companies that basically colonize. So that means there's some sainthood. You might be going for sainthood later in life. And with doing that good also, let me just ask my signature question early. What is your community give back that you're doing or that you would like to do in the future? Because right across the border from you right now is Haiti that could really use that brain power that you've used everywhere else. And those people with, you know, the talent, as you've said, is there, but the skills weren't. You could take that. And I think you get a Nobel Peace Prize if you can figure out how, you know, Haiti and those places could. Yeah. Uh, you know, bring their bring a Jumia or something like that. But you know, yeah. what is your give back that you're doing or that you would like to do? And you can get into you know all of that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That you actually nailed it because the situation of one island sharing sharing those two nations, two different countries, with such a different uh, outcome, although similar background right because they all started as, as as one colonized area and then haiti being one of the poorest countries in the world and dominican republic well definitely not the richest country in the world but for for the region for the environment dominican republic is in i mean this is top 10 economy in latin america it's number 10 although it's so small uh, so the gdp is strong it's a very uh, diverse economy. It's not like they only make money on tourism. They they produce their own food. They have a very diversified economy and, and a stable one. I mean, you are in Santo Domingo. There's a subway. You have all the big brands. You you know food chains, shopping malls, and so on. You feel like you're just like it's another American country in a way, uh, a city. Yeah. Or uh, so. And then you ask yourself a question: Why is that? And then I was asking myself the question, and then it hit me, and then I kind of realized that. For every successful nation, for every successful economy, when you look back in the history, there's always been, been a community or a group or a nation exploited, right? I mean, when you look at South Africa, which is a country where racism was really constitutionalized, I mean, this is such a great example, not great, not in a positive way, just it's clear, transparent, because they really, they were architects of how to do racism properly, right? They would check how it was done in the United States, in Australia, and they were like, we were going to come up with our own version of racism, which is the best, right? And again, air quotes. And what they did in South Africa is that they put the black communities, communities in separate countries in a way inside South Africa 
And so they would be coming to the whites of Africa on a passport, being a foreigner in its own country. And, and then I looked at Poland, where I come from. You know, in the late 90s, Poland was a very poor country, getting out themselves out of communist, communism. And Polish people used to be the cheap labor for Germany, which was very rich. Now I got back to Poland after 10 years, and I see that Poland is now the rich country, and we're taking advantage of the uh, uh, cheap labor from Ukraine. And then you have Haishi being cheap labor for Dominican Republic. There's always this combination of very wealth nation and an exploited society. And uh, and the old school approach was that, okay, like look at Poland, right? Poland was the cheap labor for Germany. And thanks to that, there are certain processes happening, happened and Poland is now uh, much more wealthy and the people, the middle class in Poland is much more wealthy. And now we, that's because it happened because we took advantage of Ukraine in a way, right? So it seems yeah. like you always need that poorer community that you take advantage of, but in the process you allow them to get wealthy and they bringing another poor community to take advantage of. It's like, a, you know, like a, a one after another, but um, the, the question is where, where, where does it end, right? <laughs> because you're going to run out of those poor communities in a way. Or does um, it end? Huh? Or does it end? Or does it end? Or does it's, it end? Been, it's been like that, you know, you could almost say from, you know, the beginning of time. Uh, the poor will be with you always, says the scriptures. Um, uh, with one difference is that i mean let's talk about capitalism and let's let's zoom out right obviously when we look when you zoom in capitalism currently is bringing shit tons of problems right starting from the total control of our lives by social media giants you know censorship and so on to the destruction of uh, nature really by inter multinational corporations which are so powerful they are above the law because if you are a multinational in 100 countries that what you don't you don't care at all about one government trying to make you pay taxes and so on so we see those short-term problems of capitalism which turn into this giant but when you look when you zoom out for hundreds of thousands of years thousands tens of thousands of years of our civilization that is uh, archived that we, we know of capitalism is very young right and you, you used to have a, a class models which kept the poor society poor, the rich stayed the rich. But what really changed everything historically is capitalism. When you look at the last couple of decades, there's big problems with capitalism. But when you zoom out, actually capitalism is the first economical system that was able to take people out of poverty uh, so fast. There's still huge problems, but when you zoom out, the capitalism did that. And then again, when you look at Western civilization, you can say that, okay, Western civilization is all about slavery and colonialism and so on. And that is absolutely true. We took, uh, you know, the whites from Europe took advantage from the Indians and the Africans. And then, you know, I mean, you know the history better than me, and most likely because I'm not a history expert. But uh, uh, you can also look at it that Western civilization is actually the first civilization to end up slavery. Like none of the civilizations before the Western civilizations even thought about bringing them down slavery. I think there was only one tiny civilization somewhere in India that, where, that they didn't have slavery, according to the historical uh, uh, archives. Every other civilization was built based on slavery. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with this thought. I just wanted to share <laughs> this here. <laughs> yeah, no, and, 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 that, and that's, you know, that's, you know, good, good stuff. I do, though, want to make sure I, I get that, um, 
because the slavery talk and the haves and have nots is what it's always been. Those who've had, yeah. whether they took it by force, you know, you can go from Africa to Poland. Um, some may say, you know, because of, you know, certain European countries not having the same slavery rules that the United Kingdom have, that's why they're in the position they are. But I want to know your community give back that you're doing or that you plan to do. Because in a lot of your talks, it's about community and it's about making places better. And I know that you go above and beyond to say, I am not here to colonize. I am here to help capitalize. But, you know, you, yeah. uh, you, you've had, you've said it in your book, you, you've said it in your speeches that yeah. I, I don't want to be the white savior. Don't even put that on me, you know, at, at all. There, there's no white savior. Um, I'm just doing business with you know some good so i want people to highlight that good that you are doing because yeah. that sometimes gets overlooked and you're not the type of person who will brag about it and wear it on your chest like superman so i want to make yeah. sure i highlight that good that you are bringing because people can tell you he's bringing jobs he's bringing that but it's, it's, it's even bigger than that you're bringing infrastructure and systems so can you talk about your community give back that you're comfortable talking about because, you know, you, you may not want to say everything. Yes. But yeah. Doing, yeah. 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 on doing in the future. Yes. So you, you've, you've touched those two points. Just I just want to finish the last thought There there was no slavery in Eastern Europe in the same definition, how it was in UK or America, where they brought slaves from Africa. But you had slaves within the internal structure of Eastern Europe. So the, the, the poor farmers were the slaves of the of the rich kings. So there was slavery within the same race in a way uh, but yeah, that's middle, like that's not good yeah. middle ages the 14th century yeah uh, yeah I, the I food, feudal system yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so um, now going back to uh, white savory so what i'm really pissed off is uh, and i see this looking at my friends uh, that when they go to africa for trips and so on they never post photos from airports they never post selfies from the city the first selfie they post is like, oh, I just visited this village next to my all-inclusive re re resort and I've given those kids uh, toys that I brought and my old phone that I brought from Europe. And I was like, first of all, you are giving a disservice because you're enforcing the negative image instead of the positive one. Every country has a positive side and negative side. I can take you to Poland, to certain cities or villages that, you know, People are poorer than some guys in Lagos, Nigeria, like most of them, right? Uh, or, or a village in Nigeria. So, and then, first of all, it's extremely stupid to bring physical stuff inside a, a, a new region because it's called the mosquito net paradox, right? We would be sending to African village mosquito nets to protect the kids from dying from malaria. And in the process, every mo local mosquito net producer went bankrupt because how could he compete with a free mosquito net sending, being sent from, uh, from Europe, right? You want to help send money and let the people decide what to do with it, right? Uh, obviously, you don't want to send money to a thief and so on, but that's another problem. I get now talking about the... So that's the white survey, which always pissed me off. And I really believe in that healthy side of capitalism where it's grassroots, right? Like it's the capitalism that Adam Smith, Adam Smith wrote about. By solving your own personal problems, you're creating some wealth and, and you're providing service to the community by selling them things. 
I mean, that's how civilization started. Like one person would grow crops, the other person would make clothes, and the other person would, uh, I don't know, take care of your kids, right? So we could specialize, and this way the whole community grows. And that's really capitalism. The bad capitalism, the, the multinationals, that, that's not for me. But what I loved about Africa is that you see the real positive effect of the grassroots capitalism, I would say. And while you're focusing on that, while you're not, I don't know, uh, working for Shell that just exploits another oil well and makes a deal with the local village king uh, and so on, you're just building a normal company, solving normal people problems. You don't need any CSR. You don't need any answer to what are you giving back to the community? Because the question, what are you giving back to the community should be asked to companies that by definition don't support any communities, right? I mean, if let's just say, if you're producing alcohol or cigarettes, right? You wanna be asked them a question like, by definition, your product is not too healthy, right? So maybe you wanna minimize the risks of what you're doing and give something back. But if you are opening a, a travel agency that allows people to travel and, find, and book hotels and you're hiring local people to, to run this business, this is a CSR in itself, right? I mean, when we opened the office in 2012, 2013, 2012, sorry, in, in Lagos, um, the, the kids, because they were actually kids, they were just, you know, uh, young people straight after high school uh, that we hired to the office. I mean, they told me that, you know, if it wasn't for this uh, online company I got hired to, I most likely would be working in a laundry service or a mechanic shop and so on. So. We were the one of the first online companies that would hire local people. And that's how we did the know-how transfer, I believe. that For me, that's a CSR. Because you're bringing new business model to the community. They are now able to learn how a company like that works. And then when I look back to all my old employees, many of them have their own marketing agencies now. Someone launched a startup, got the money from a VC. Someone works in IT. Uh, that's for me CSR, just allowing people to be hired in uh, new types of businesses that they were not able to have access to if it wasn't for the, the first companies to enter. Uh, and I believe that this is what you should focus on and not, uh, not like trying to, you know, collect the revenue you've done, you've made in a not so clear way and now have to find, now you need to find some, some cool think that looks nice for the journalist and call it CSR and say how you're saving the world. I mean, I see that that's paradox sometimes, right? That Amazon is saying like we're doing, you know, we're doing all this stuff to save the planet. And I'm sure this was the best example, but which one was it? But let's keep, let's stick to the Amazon. Like Amazon has launched some initiatives to save the planet. Oh, I know they've launched like a 150 million dollar investment fund for startups to save the planet. But at the same time, the way their logistics are designed, they still waste so much, you know, materials or, or making packages, which could be done in a more sustainable way. Or uh, there was an investigation lately, I think, in Ireland or in in one of the warehouse that they would throw out 10,000 pieces of some electronic equipment every month because it was not, not sold and it, it had, it, it, there was no economical sense to send it back to the merchant. So they would just throw it out, right? Yeah. So I was, I, I was like, first check your core business, make sure it's not hurting first. 
instead of maximizing your revenue on doing their bad things, but then take some profits out and do something which looks good on the for the for the journalists. Uh, the CSR uh, in, in the CSR uh, initiatives are sexy and they're easier to launch because you don't have to change your core business. You just throw some money um, yeah. uh, on on whatever is currently whatever is currently you know. Uh, whatever the society is currently uh, interested in, right? Like Nike, right? Na uh, like Nike, Nike marketing campaigns are, are extremely cool, right? right? They're all about diversity. Uh, they're, they're all about, uh, you know, female empowerment and, and so on and so on. But then what is harder to do? Launch a marketing campaign that improves your customer rating and gets you interest from younger, younger parts of the society and it's definitely easier to do than to look at the process of how how and where Nike shoes are produced and which communities are being exploited. Uh, I'm talking about you know like Indonesia and so on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I was like, let's look deeper into the process of what the company does itself because you might not need the CSR to cover whatever you're doing. Again, I went. I did. I gave you. A, I gave you a rant. <laughs> and, and I and I love it because people they they need to learn, and that's what this audience and most of them are listeners from around the world. And, and in case anything has been lost in translation, when he says CSR, that is the corporate social responsibility. So you guys can Google yeah. it and go into deeper if you don't know. But you know, I've seen it even with taking thirty people to Kenya on a trip and then going to an orphanage. And people, you know, oh gathering, we're going to get all the candy and everything. And I said, yo, these are kids without parents. They don't need candy. And you putting out candy like you might have saw online doesn't move the needle at all. Think if you, you guys put your money together. Or if you bring the women, you know, pads are a big issue wherever you go in Africa, getting pads to women and, and that type of knowledge. And yeah. people are like, oh, we never even thought about it like that. But I've seen yeah. people... Like, you know, like the Pope or somebody trying to give candy out and, and not even bless it, people. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that, so, you know, you're looking at it deeper. Go on. I also want to add to this, you know, if, if this was only a problem of this doesn't move the needle, then I wouldn't be upset because I cannot judge you. You're doing something, you're doing, you, you think you're doing something good. And I probably have a better way to spend your money. I mean, I would probably know how to advise you to make whatever your actions are have a better effect. If this was just it, I wouldn't. I would just shut up because I'm not here to tell you. I mean, it, done is better than perfect, right? I, mm -hmm. I think that it's better if everyone does someone does something. Then we're gonna be not doing anything until we find the perfect solution to everything. If that was just it, if this was just about moving the needle, I would probably shut up. But the way I see it is not only it doesn't move the needle, it actually brings us backwards. The, those candies not only are not moving the needle, those candies are damaging to what can happen in that Kenya village. And let me explain you why. Because I'm called from business world where you have to convince investors to give you money, then you have to convince clients to give you money. And I'm also come, come from marketing world. Uh, and there's this rule in business that I see every time which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? In order to, like, you know what happens sometimes with stocks, right? You say that the stock is amazing. Like if Warren Buffett invests in something, 
the stock will go up just because it's like if Warren Buffett is investing in it, it has to be amazing, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It also works the other way around. If you're going to be enforcing the negative damage of Kenya, if all you do is posting selfies of kids in the you know uh, orphanage without showing this amazing city of Nairobi and the amazing airport and the infrastructure and the banks and, and people running business there, Kenya is the third biggest uh, startup ecosystem in Africa, getting so much money, so many cool businesses out of there. But if you're only talking about the negative things, then people who might have invested in Kenya, who might have done something cool, you scare them away because the self-fulfilling prophecy goes the other, goes both ways, which is why that's what, that's in my TED talk. I, I At the beginning of my TED talk, I said, I'm only going to tell you about good stuff <laughs> because there's too many people that only tell you about the bad stuff, right? So don't come blame me for being only positive. I know that there's a good side and bad side to everything. I am now being a counterbalance to all the NGOs and to all the white saviors throwing those kids with big bellies at you, uh, photos, or, or photos of selfies of giving those kids candies because they are slowing down the potential progress of the economy. No, definitely. You are right on. I, I want to know, though, you know, getting to this point, um, coming from Poland, were you a, a graduate of uh, Ed Vincent, um, who started Mensa over there in, in, in Poland? Um, were, were you, you know, the kid who had all the answers, you were ultra bright, or was school the struggle because you actually had ideas and ways to implement those ideas? So teachers and parents and people really maybe didn't understand you and said, ah, he got in trouble again. And he's just going to be, you know, as you said in your TED Talk, all people knew about Poland was stealing cars. And I'm like, that's all they know about Poland? You know, but I have Polish friends growing up, and I'm like, uh, that's not what I got for my guys or, or the ladies that we were around. But, you know, were you that ultra-bright student growing up? Oh, no. So um, I was super shy and I was bullied as a kid because I was this typical nerd. So I was like good. I mean, um, I was always good at maths and physics and all the scientific subjects in a way. But, and I remember my boss told me this many years later, and that's how it opened my eyes about how I was as a kid. When you're talented and when you're good, when you're smart at something, you can either achieve whatever everyone is achieving at 10% of the energy <laughs> it costs or time cost. Or you can work as hard as everyone else and achieve way more. And I think in high school, in primary school, I was just taking advantage of me being, in a way, smart and, and you know, uh, 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 absorbing knowledge easily. And I just, you know, I didn't have to learn at all. I would read a book once and I would just remember it. So in that sense, I, yeah, it was easy for me to learn, but I never took advantage of it and I never won anything. I was really an average student, right? And... Uh, uh, and my parents will come from a post-communist community, right? There was there were no entrepreneurs really. I didn't know what entrepreneurship really mean meant. My mom was a teacher, and my father was a soldier, and uh, only my uncle that used to work in Germany apparently was running some businesses, but no one really knew what this really meant. I went into entrepreneurship because. Uh, my parents were so strict about what to do with my life. Like, you're going to study here. You're going to marry that girl. We're going to help you build a house. We'll help you with everything. I was like, I need to run away. And that, <laughs> that, that internal need of being free was so hard, was so strong in me that even till today, when I want to buy something online and, uh, you know, 
this website tells me you have to start an account and you have to come up with your password and your password has to have 12 characters and one digit and one special character and one capital letter. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not going to tell me how my password is, right? So my initial reason to go to uh, entrepreneurship is because I really couldn't stand the concept of having a boss. Uh, and I wanted to be free. And I thought that if I go into online, it will allow me to run my business from anywhere because online is just a laptop, right? Uh, how wrong was I? That's not correct at all. But those were those things which really led me to entrepreneurship without really knowing what it, what it meant because I had no one in the family that would tell me. Mm, I, I like that. So, you know, not wanting to have a boss, and I definitely relate with you on that. And I don't think I should have a boss because at most of the jobs, they ask you to leave when you have ideas that, you know, yeah. we can do that a better way. And that's okay. And so on this journey of, you know, 20 years um, that I've, I've had, let me ask you, how have you tapped in to so many different, you know, companies? Because people will look at you and think like, oh, you had an idea, you started it, you started to hire people and that like you had all the ideas. And I know that's not the truth for most entrepreneurs. We lean on a team of people that make us look like Batman and Superman with the Wakanda yeah. spirit. So how did that work for you with, you know, you get one company off the ground, how did you then, you know, find your way into Jumia with bringing Jumia Travel and co-founding that? Yeah, that was a, I mean, in hindsight, everything looks as if it made sense, but that was one coincidence after another. Uh, my first business in Poland was in the finance sector. I was working in this uh, startup that was selling financial products, and that was early 2000, and Polish, Poland's economy was going up like crazy. They were selling uh, investment products in a very aggressive way, a little bit like Boiler Room or, or even Wolf of Wall Street, like a big motivation, make a lot of money, spend a lot of money, so you need to make a lot of money again. And I got burned out pretty fast. And also Lehman Brothers crash came. So I was like, there's no money in this business anymore. So I got a, I got a search for another job. Uh, and then I, you know, I've, I've realized that there's this another growing trend, another growing business of those startups, right? I would watch CNN and show those guys, those hipsters sitting in Starbucks drinking soya latte and just getting millions of dollars of investment, you know, building some websites. And I was like, if these guys can do it, I can do it as well. So again, without thinking much, I got myself into it and I fell in love by chance. I mean, I would always just fall in love in whatever. Sorry, I would, I would enter a company or a sector or a business or a project without thinking much. And if I don't love it in, in the way, I would quit, quit very often. Unless you realize, okay, this is getting harder, but I also love it and I'm going to stick to it. So the online space was one of the things I stuck to it. And I had some smaller or bigger successes. One company I was able to sell, but it was small money, like less than $1 million. I mean, small. It was huge back then, right? Um, I also, some of them went bankrupt. I had some lessons. And then at some point in my life, I was like, yeah, I think I want to get out of Poland. I mean, the whole point of me getting into online business was to make some money and be able to travel and work. Uh, I don't have that much money yet, so maybe I'll work for someone that allows me to have a business adventure and travel adventure at once. And in Europe, there's this big investment fund called Rocket Internet that focuses on building e-commerce businesses. Let's just say that China has its Alibaba, US has its Amazon, and Europe has its Rocket Internet. Uh, and everyone wants to work for them, at least for a year or two, because it, everyone says if you work for them for a year or two, 
you'll get so much knowledge. All the investors want to work with you. It's like a best MBA you can have for an online entrepreneur. And I remember just sending them a CV and a motivational letter saying, listen, I, I dropped out of university to build startups. I built some significant experience in Eastern Europe. I want to work for you guys because I want to travel. I don't want to be in New Poland anymore. Um, do you have any position for someone like me? And they said, well, funny that you're saying, we're actually setting up a team uh, to expand our business into Africa. Uh, we've raised some money. And they didn't say it this way, but what I know they meant back then is that no one from Germany or France wants to go there. So we want to hire some crazy guys. We're going to pay them nothing. Uh, but if they are in for an adventure, if they deliver results, we'll give them the shares in that business. So it's like uh, they were looking for co-founders in a way. They gave me the money. They wanted my time and my commitment. And if we build something together, I will earn my shares. So that's how I really got myself into Jumia Travel which was the travel vertical of the whole Jumia business and uh, was essentially employee number one uh, of the travel business, uh, was sent to Nigeria and the rest is history because <laughs> after four years, Jumia ended up after, sorry, not four years, uh, seven years, Jumia landed on uh, New York Stock Exchange. And Jumia has had, again, I've mentioned it before, you know, as far as stock, it's ups and downs, but for me, for to see it in Kenya and to, you know, see and talk. And I've interviewed um, one of the women who brought it to Cameroon and to hear, you know, everyone's take that, you know, Jumia is great, but Jumia needs to use more local wisdom knowledge um, from, from the locals and say, okay, um, that makes sense. If not, Amazon's going to come in and then buy Jumia up. Where are your your thoughts on the future of Jumia and Jumia Travel, of course, being in there, um, of what's going to happen next? Because there's certain things Jumia can do in Africa that you can't do yet in the States. And, yeah. you, you know, so how do you see the future? Is it going to be something where Jumia blows up or gets bought out because Jeff Bezos, when he comes down from his rocket ship, he's going to say, hey, I want this because I want to have a monopoly on, on everything. Um, yeah. What are your yeah. yeah, I think the future of Jumia is really challenging. Um, so a couple of thoughts here. The, the, the last challenge, but, but the future of Jumia challenge and the challenges I'm going to tell you about have nothing to do with the last stock volatility, right? Uh, which I also want to touch on. I mean, I, obviously I have a dog in this fight. <laughs> I have some shares, obviously. So, um, so first of all, now let's talk in the past, right? The Jumia stock was just going absolutely crazy. And I even wrote an article about it at some point because I was like, there's just not enough understanding of what's happening. And the article is called, I think, Jumia, the African punching bag, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, well, first of all, there was a, a little to none understanding of a large number of American investors about how hard it is to launch an e-commerce in, in Africa, right? In the US, it's relatively simple. Like you already have existing uh, warehouse structures, you already have existing courier companies. You can do just in uh, time uh, delivery of our products. Even when Amazon launched, they even didn't do the logistics. They had the producers, the, the, the books uh, companies, the book producers, distributors send the books directly to the client. When Zappos launched, they even didn't touch the shoes. The, the distributor would send to the client for Zappos. They would only focus on building the demand uh, on the website. Where in Africa, you have to, Jumia had to build its own courier company. We had to build our own warehouses and we had to import our own goods from China. 
because no one else was doing this. There was no in ecosystem of companies we could outsource certain services to, to launch the e-commerce. So we really had to build the offline first in order to do the e-commerce. And people from the States without having deeper access to insights in the African region were thinking that the performance of Jumia has something to do with how you know shitty company that is. Uh, without understanding that this is just the business model is similar. Everything else is done in a different way. Um, and also there was a huge uh, short, shorts uh, campaign. At some point, Jumia had more shorts than Tesla in terms of percentage. So really everyone was playing on Jumia stops going down. Obviously they were then pushing some negative information about it. There was this, uh, there was this you know, big short company they called like Lemon or Lime, I don't remember. Uh, uh, they are even banned from Shanghai or Singapore uh, 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 capital markets for what they do because it's considered illegal in Asia, but they still do it in, in, in the States. Back then, they were really talking shit about Jumia. Now they changed their mind and now believing in it, but that's another story. So that there was a lot of things happening. And also, to be very diplomatic, Jumia's CEOs, Jumia's board are not the best at navigating certain uh, racial slash post-colonial history, delicate issues for many communities, right? Uh, having only white uh, European management uh, board uh, with Jumia being <coughs> mainly white capital, European capital funded company in the beginning, uh, but then going into New York and saying, we're the first African unicorn might have pissed off some people, right? You should have been much more delicate and diverse in your communication saying, yes, we are a European company founded by Europeans, but Look at all the cool things we're doing in the region, and so on and so on. So that was that was it. Now uh, you're asking about the future challenges in uh, of Jumia. I'm going to use the example of the Dominican Republic. I arrived here, and I'm like, okay, let me set up my life. Obviously, find me the biggest local e-commerce player because I want to buy my grocery, I want to deliver my food and everything from here, and and buy my laptop on online, whatever. Um, and I realized that tenth biggest economy in Af in uh, Latin America has no significant e-commerce business. I mean, 10 million people, wealthy nation in general, has no proper e-commerce business. Why is that? Because Amazon is so optimized that I have Amazon Prime and plus a, a local company that just sends stuff from Miami to me. I have Amazon Prime for additional of $100, uh, $50 per month just to get that additional last, last, uh, last delivery from Miami to here that the closeness of Amazon is so powerful that there's no way to build any advantage over what Amazon is already providing. And uh, I believe the problem is getting more and more visible with China and Alibaba. Because of how bad the infrastructure is inside the country, how hard it is to send stuff from Kenya to Nigeria or Kenya, Nigeria to Ghana, sometimes it's even better to send something from China to Nigeria than from Ghana to Nigeria that the, uh, the distance from Alibaba to Nigerian client has become so, so little that uh, when you're opening a local Nigerian e-commerce, Alibaba becomes your local competitor, although they are based out of China. Uh, because there's already so many companies and so many international shipping problems being solved by Alibaba or other companies that they essentially became your local competitor. And unfortunately, the African Union that tries to make the intra-African trade between the countries easier and, 
and, uh, and faster and more safe is not solving these problems as fast. I mean, when you want to send stuff from Nigeria to Cameroon or Nigeria to Tanzania, whatever, by land, there's just too much risk with uh, bribes and theft and everything. That is just not viable financially for most of the products. So um, there's a high chance that when Amazon enters or China, uh, Alibaba enters, all they care about is to acquire certain company that does the last mile delivery, so to deliver to your house. But they won't need that infrastructure that Jumia built. They won't need that brand that Jumia built and everything because um, the, the, the market is really shrinking. The, 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 the world in that sense is becoming a global village, especially when you look at those huge giants of Amazon and, and Alibaba solving the, the, the logistics challenges. So, and I, I could see that in a micro scale in Dominican Republic, that such a big and healthy economy uh, ideal for e-commerce, right? People are living very close to each other in, in big cities. Uh, it would be so ideal to make a nice e-commerce here, uh, but there is none because Amazon is just so close. So uh, this is why um, uh, Jumia, you know, has expanded. They're not doing only e-commerce. They also launched their financial uh, uh, product, their, their, their payment gateway, their, their, their mobile wallet. Uh, because really, fintech is the way to is, is the sector to grow, and I think Jumia Board is, is seeing those challenges. So, pure e-commerce business to be purely African, it will be harder and harder to make that that African purely uh, e-commerce business because of how closer the the big giants come, and they might not need to buy you in order to be in Africa. That's what I'm saying. You gotta watch out for this. But uh, there are other sectors which Jumia is going into. Uh, that might make it a very successful company and very powerful company that might not be only an e-commerce uh, in 10 years from now. And in your, your article, you mentioned, you know, um, and, and maybe this was Amazon or towards Alibaba. I don't, I don't know, but a lot of children sold out. I said that terribly because my German is worse than my French, y'all. But, you know, they were getting the pleasure from your guy, the, the misfortunate story that people were trying to put out in Julia. Do you think Amazon or Alibaba, um, you know, maybe even teamed up and said, we're going to try to put a campaign to end this so we can, you know, capitalize on the market? I don't think so. The difference in size between Amazon and Alibaba is just too, too big. I, I believe that one of the reasons why Alibaba or Amazon, th there must have been some talks, I think. Uh, it's just Jumia is just way too small and the market is way too early uh, for, for giants like Amazon or Alibaba to, to, to think seriously about this region yet. You, you know what they're doing? Like Amazon is really doubling down on India, right? And people would say that India can be compared to <coughs> Nigeria in a way. But now, in, in India, when it comes to the growth of e-commerce, is like light years ahead. Not only it's a five times bigger ma market in terms of population, it's only a 50 or 40 times bigger market when it comes to purchasing power. Yeah? Nigeria, for example, has, has 200 million people, more or less, uh, but only 2 million people, only 1% of the population makes more than $1,000 per month, right? Uh, so um, I think, I think, obviously this is just my guess, uh, that Africa, when you're talking about the topics which the board of Amazon and the board of Alibaba is, uh, is, is discussing on their board strategic meetings. 
I think Africa is not a common topic yet. I think they're talking about India, they're talking about drones, they're talking about Latin America for sure, absolutely for sure. Uh, I think it's very, very early for those giants to to do any significant moves uh, in the African e-commerce space yet, simply because you know it's just too small and it hasn't been growing as dynamically as everyone predicted ten years ago. Okay, you are. I'm a conspiracy theorist, so <laughs> and that's why and that's why I asked you that because I'll even connect like First Samuel 15 and three when Samuel told Saul go out there and kill the men, women, and the children. And so if I'm Amazon and I'm Alibaba and I see, oh, they want to make a rain. Okay, they want to try to rise up, you know, so that's me. But I'm glad that we have people like you who can, you know, say, okay, no, it's not that deep yet, Kelly. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to, and I want to leave the people with this because I want them to go check out your book. I want them to go listen to it because there is, especially in the West, in America, especially Black America, folks are running to Africa saying, I want to go travel, but not just be a tourist, I want to invest. I have a course on how to travel there. I'm working on something on how to do micro investments as well. But your book, you're talking about such, you know, a transformation of not knowing anything about Nigeria. Um, can you give the people a, a, just a, a, a synopsis of the book of if this is their first time or if they've been to Africa 10, 12, 20 times and they want to invest, why they need to go check out this book? Huh. Yeah, I have to promote my book now. I'm not the best at it. Um, so the book really is a journey. I always wanted to write a business book. Uh, I, I expected it's going to be at the end of my life and it's going to be super boring. Um, but then I moved to Africa and I realized that there are not too many business books written by people that run business there. You have a lot of theory written about Africa and, and so on and so on. And I was like, maybe I'm into something. Maybe I can make a, maybe I can write a business book about my own experiences. Uh, that I had in Nigeria, in Kenya, in South Africa, but it was still supposed to be a, a boring business book. Maybe for a business book, it was an interesting one, but it's a boring book. But then I got myself into some extreme adventures in Africa, as you, as one does, <laughs> because on one side, uh, yeah, I was part of this amazing adventure called Jumia, which turned out to be, you know, large success in a big company, and I was there at the very beginning. But also, I had I got myself into some extreme trouble on the other end of this spectrum, where one of my business partners decided to get rid of me. And as you sometimes do in emerging economies, you just pay the police to take care of you. And I, you know, almost landed in jail. And I was on Interpol most wanted list. And it took me two years to fight for my freedom of movement, and and so on and so on. And, and that was a. And I had to go to meetings with my business partners with microphones under my shirt just like you would do in hollywood movies to collect evidence that i was the victim not the perpetrator and so on and so on so that was a a nice for a reader that's the entertaining part yeah so i remember someone told me like you should do a bi half biography half business because whatever happened to you in nigeria or kenya south africa is interesting just the story itself but if you're gonna throw some learnings that you had on the way you have a nice combination of a business book, which is interesting because of the biographical aspects. And I was like, screw it, let's do it. Um, I got convinced. And uh, and the book is also a journey of, of this young Polish guy that knows nothing about Nigeria because when they offered me to go to Nigeria, all I knew is that there's Boko Haram and, and there's this Nigerian prince that wants to send me some money <laughs> if I give him my credit card details. 
And I remember there was this there was this beautiful woman that won Miss World a couple of years earlier. So I was like, oh wow, I gotta check out if there are more girls like her, right? So I was like, I have nothing to lose. Let's go with and and from that ignorance, which came out of just zero knowledge, like the first black per remember Poland is a very homogeneous country. Like the first black person I've met in my life was the ambassador of Nigeria when I was twenty five, right? Yeah. Um, to you know, becoming a guy that has been living there for almost 10 years now and, and doing all his businesses here and and obviously becoming a, a very, my brand, my personal brand is tied to Africa, right? Because of my TED Talks and my book and everything. So in a way, I really invested myself into it. So I've, I've done a huge leap of faith. And that book also shows that journey, how, how you can change, how you can turn from an ignorant into a, a lover and a part of community in a way, which my journey goes against the joke in Nigeria, which is a very bad joke, but funny in a way. It's a bad and funny as well. And the joke goes, what's the difference between a tourist and a racist, right? And the answer is, it's a week, right? <laughs> so, I, and I remember that always like, I remembered when someone told me this. And, and then my book, in a way, is an antithesis to this, right? I hope. Wow. Yeah, you guys. You're hearing about business, being chased by Interpol. You want to know how he got out of all that? You're going to have to go to Amazon or wherever you like to get your book, whether it's the audio book, the Kindle, or the physical copy, and check that out. You know the great storytellers always want you leaving more, and we want you to check with those links and find out that part of the story. I thank you for coming on, brother. It was a great chat, and I really appreciate your questions. I. You know, the book was released like two years ago. So you can imagine I had so many interviews already and I was expecting the same questions to be asked. But I don't think you've really copied any of the questions. I like that we went, we found some avenues which were not explored. So I really appreciate that. Are you tired of the rat race in America? Are you ready to visit the motherland to relax and rejuvenate? Are you ready to explore all that Africa has to offer? Then check out the brand new Diversified Game Academy course, Prepare for My First Trip to Africa. Are you worried about being able to afford the trip? We got you. We will show you how to travel either on a budget or as a baller. Learn how to stress the value of the USD. Did you know that 100 United States dollars is worth over 1,000 South African rand or 10,000 Kenyan shillings or 54,250 West African CFA? Are you worried about taking your kids? Get the game from Kellen Cash, a bona fide world traveler, having traveled to almost 20 countries, several of those in Africa. Get the game on taking your kids on their first trips. Learn how to find the best tickets, get the visas, and plan your own adventures in Africa. Don't let Eddie Murphy have all the fun. Plan your own coming to Africa trip starring you, produced by you, and featuring you. If you are ready for a life-changing experience, sign up for our course today, Diversified Game Academy. Get prepared and purchase at diversifiedgame.com. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifiedgame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.